0: Stay on top of trends. Today's leaders always need to be learning. In this environment of limited resources, the only way to remain competitive is your ability to leverage your most important resource. Welcome to your evolving leadership journey. In this program, we'll dive into leadership fundamentals that are essential to your success. Now, here's your host, Tom Korea.
1: Good Monday morning. You're listening to Your Evolving Leadership Journey with Tom Crea, your host, and today we have the privilege of speaking with Mary Abadjie. I should have checked with you. Did I pronounce that right?
2: You got it right. Apple oh, perfect. like the, All right. like the bird.
1: <laughs> All right, great, great. So she's the author of Managing Up, How to Move Up, When at Work, and success, Succeed with Any Type of Boss. Before we dive in, though... Last week, we spoke to Kurt Mortensen about maximum influence, and next week, we'll talk to Carol Sanford, the author of No More Feedback. So you'll find everything you want at yourevolvingleadershipjourney.com, and you can check out the schedule of who's coming next, who any episode you missed, and links to all the authors and guests. Um, so you'll be able to go to their website, social media accounts, and all that sort of thing, and we, if you'd like, you can continue the discussion in our group of like-minded individuals on LinkedIn. All that information is there. So if you are interested in continuous learning, you, you are in the right place. Now, why did I think a chat with Mary about managing up would be good for anyone interested in leadership? Well, I think it's safe to say that we've all had bad bosses and we've also had good bosses. So hopefully we're going to have some great conversation about all of that. So before we meet Mary, um, Mary is. Is a, has a full-service organizational leadership development consultancy. She's an author, speaker, consultant, and trainer. And her work has appeared in a number of places, New York Times, Harvard Business Review, Fast Company, Forbes, the Financial Times, Money Magazine, Southwest Airlines Magazine, Monster, and the BBC. And a, a side note on Mary is, back in a previous century, she was a bar owner. Um, so Mary, uh, what else can you say about yourself that our audience would like to know?
2: Well, I think you've pretty much summed it up uh, pretty well. I love what I do. Uh, my work is really around helping people either be successful at work, uh, whether they're leaders, followers, team members, and helping organizations create workplaces where people can be successful. I, I, my mission in life, and I know this sounds kind of corny. But my mission in life is to make the workplace a great place because that's where we spend most of our working hours. And I think those working hours should be your best hours and not your worst hours.
1: All right. Well, that's not corny because you're in the right place because <laughs> this audience is mostly an audience of people who are believe in leadership, believe in servant leadership, and they want to take care of the members on their team. So, um, perfect comment. So, Mary, what motivated you to write this book and why is this important? Why is this topic so important?
2: Oh my gosh, uh, so what motivated me to write this book was, you know, I've been spending the last like 15, 18 years doing organizational development and leadership development, working with organizations to try to create really productive and positive workplaces, and I kept hearing people complain about their boss, and their bosses complain about them, and I just thought, well, why don't you have a conversation, and so as I started really digging into it, what I discovered was we spend an inordinate amount of time teaching people how to be leaders, right, it's uh, uh um. Sherm says that we spend $85 billion, with a B, on leadership development. Yet at the same time, uh, our poor bosses or poor relationships with our bosses tend to be one of the main reasons why people leave organizational life. It tends to be one of the main reasons why people, uh, while there's low morale and low engagement, because clearly not everyone's gotten the servant leadership message. And also that we, um, that 75% of Americans are you know, complaining about their boss. The boss is the worst part of their day. So I thought there is the mismatch here. So I did some research and I found that there is like millions of books and articles and resources on how to manage down, like how to lead people. But there was maybe 12 books or resources on how to manage up, like how to take that part of the relationship uh, and manage that. So that That really was my impetus, was to really help people realize that no matter what kind of boss they have, uh, that they could have some control over that situation, that they can control their career, uh, and that they can make the relationship work. Because I loved what you said in the beginning, like we've all had good bosses, we've all had bad bosses, and the key part of that statement is we all have bosses. Everybody has a boss, and no matter how high up you go, you are still going to have a boss of some sort. Even those of us who own our own companies, we have now bosses called our clients, right? So, it's always understanding that managing up is both part of our leadership journey and part of our professional development journey.
1: Well, thank you very much for that response. Now, look, if you've just joined us... um And you have any questions you'd like to call in, our number is 866-472-5790. Again, that's 866-472-5790. Okay, Mary, so let's dive in a little further. And what is managing up? You like to call it man up in your book, which I thought was pretty cool, but go ahead.
2: (laughs) Yeah, so so managing up is really, first of all, let me tell you what it isn't, Tom. Managing up isn't sucking up. It's not about being a sycophant. It's not about kissing someone's butt. It's not about licking someone's boots. That's manipulation. Managing up is about consciously, choicefully uh, uh, working well with the people that are higher above you in the food chain, building those relationships that matter so that you can succeed, They can succeed and the organization can succeed. It's a threefer. It's not about just you. It's not about just them. It's not just about the organization. It's about all three of you. And it's important because we don't always get to work with people who are exactly like us. And sometimes we have to work with people that have different perspectives, different preferences, different priorities, different pet peeves, and a different amount of power. So we need to do what we can to manage that relationship. And that is what Managing Up is, is managing that relationship.
1: Well, great. You know, and one of the things that popped out of me when I was reading that part of your book was the word responsibility. You use it um, and you use it in a different way. Do you want to talk about how it's our responsibility to do what you just said?
2: Yeah, so I want people to be really clear. I am not saying that bosses don't have responsibility to be good at being bosses. They absolutely do. They absolutely do. And we also have a responsibility to hold up our end of the, uh, of the of the relationship. And so the truth of the matter is, whether we like it or not, our bosses, our managers, are going to have a lot of influence over our career trajectory and over our leadership journey, right? They have a lot of influence over the projects we work on. They have a lot of influence over uh, the teams we're a part of. They have a lot of influence over our exposure in the in our organization and in our industry. So that relationship matters a lot, right? Uh, The other thing that matters is that our careers matter. Like Everybody has to take responsibility for their own career trajectory. They have to take responsibility for being captains of their own career. Nobody is, should, or will care about your career more than you do. And if part of your career success means having a good, robust, authentic relationship with the your boss, then we have to do what we can on our end to make that happen. Because the truth is whether we like it or not, um, the truth is whether we like it or not, we cannot change other people. All we can do is, is uh, control our reactions, our actions, our words, our thoughts, our deeds. and. We may not like to admit it, but we all kind of like the way we operate, right? Like, I like the way I operate. That's why I do it every day. Uh, And so when we are faced with somebody who operates differently than we do, uh, maybe has a different style or different needs or different priorities, we tend to get a little judgmental. We tend to get a little frustrated. We tend to get a little annoyed. And when we do, we tend to get judgy about the other person. And my message is, don't get judgy. Figure out who they are and figure out what you can do in order to make that work.
1: Well, great. So not only so one of the things that um, strikes me as you're saying that is not only are you trying to manage up and you're trying to learn these different styles and different communication behaviors and patterns of the people that are above you. uh, What about taking that same lesson and working with the people who report to you? So it kind of works both ways. and, uh, And I just think it's a win win. And as you say in your book, a win-win-win, in another, uh, perhaps in another area. But um, what about that working both up and down the chain, and how that's important to do it both ways?
2: Yeah. Now, I love that you said that because what I, you know, the thing that's been so surprising for me about this book is that so many managers are are looking at it and going, "Oh my goodness!" Like. Am I, first of all, one of those managers? And then I always say to them, are you making it easy for people to manage up to you, right? So we want to, when we are managers and leaders, we want to make sure that we are being as transparent and as clear about our needs, our wants, our expectations, our preferences as we can so that we can help people adapt to us. Now, the other thing that's important is that really great leadership um, uh, is, in my opinion, is leaders that will take a look at the people that, they are leading or managing. And they will look at them for who they are as individuals. So, Tom, I see these are your strengths. These are your Uh, preferences, your priorities. I'm going to do, I'm going to try to be adaptive to you as possible so I can bring that the best out in you. And that's really what we want to talk about. The same skills that will make you a great manager managing down, uh, having those adaptive relationship skills are the same skills we want to use with people managing up. So it works both ways. So absolutely. We always want to be thinking about how we're managing up, how we're managing down, and how easy we are making it for other people to work with us.
1: Well, thank you for that. And when I talk about the, the a similar topic or this topic uh, to my audiences, I always talk about it's about building relationships. And I like to use this analogy um, where I say – Look, if you're trying to build a relationship, it's about building a bridge, and you can't go into it with a 50-50 attitude. It's got to be more, and you as the leaders, um, our listeners, you you as the leader, you need to go more than 50%, at least initially, to have that overlap, because we're all human. We all are prone to errors, and we're going to fail, and if we go in with a 50-50 attitude, that bridge will never form. So, thank you for that, and just one more comment on what you were talking about. I'm not sure you mentioned this, but you talked about, in your book, about how choice is empowerment.
2: Yeah. Um, Choice is empowerment. I see all too often, maybe that's because I do a lot of work in the federal government, but I see a lot of career victims out there. I see a lot of people that complain about their career. They complain about their boss. They complain, they complain, they complain, and they don't do anything different. And so what I'm here to say to people is you always have a choice. Managing up is a choice, right? And I don't care if you choose to do nothing differently. All I care about is that you are actually choosing. Because when When we don't choose, when we just allow ourselves to become negative or frustrated, then we get trapped by our amygdala, right? Our reptile brain takes over and we go into fight or flight. And that is not being into choice. That's being into victimhood. So I want people to be able to look at their bosses, look at any of their situations in life and be choiceful. You know, I'm very struck because the Buddhists say that when we're struck with something difficult, we have three choices. Uh, We can choose to uh, accept the situation which means to accept it with uh, without rancor, without bitterness, right? They'll accept it and be okay with it. Um, or we can change the situation, right? So we can't really change other people, We can request things differently from people, but we can change how we interact with other people. And then the third choice is something difficult is to leave the situation. And I think far too many people stay in jobs or in relationships in general that aren't serving them. And so I want people to be empowered to understand that they do have a choice when faced with uh, any difficult situation. And one of those difficult situations may be you and your boss just aren't in sync.
1: Perfect. Well, that's a great segue into my next question, which is, all right, well, how do we go about changing the situation? But before you, we get into the, the the core of your book, if you will, um, do people resist the idea of managing it up? And if so, why?
2: Yeah. So I love that you asked me that. So, yeah, they resist for a couple of reasons. One way that they resist, uh, so when I do my workshops, I say to people, um, you know, so we're going to talk about the F word for a minute. Let's talk about the F word. And everyone's like, oh, yeah, let's talk about the F word. And then I disappoint them by telling them it's not that F word. And so I've probably spoken to probably over 150,000 people at this point, and I have them guess what the F word is. And I've had four people guess. And the F word, four people have like 150,000, and that's because the F word I'm talking about is followership, right? Being a follower. And whenever I say that word in these audiences, people just groan. You can hear an audible, oh. Because in America, we don't like to think about ourselves as followers. We are all leaders. We preach it, we teach it, we hit everybody over the head with leadership. But the truth is, if everybody's leading all the time, Who is following? Who's getting the work done? At any given time in organizational life, we are playing both roles, uh, leader and follower. We are helping execute a vision that was handed down. So I'm trying to get people to understand that being a follower is the yin to the yang to being a leader. You can't have one without the other. And people in America especially tend to conflate being a follower with being a patsy or being a pansy or being powerless. And I don't think that's true. I think that if we can reframe the leadership-follower relationship, much like servant leadership does, into a relationship paradigm, then we can understand that we all have agency. We all have choice within that. So that's the first thing that people resist, is understanding that we have to play both roles. The other ways that people will object is they will think, you know, well it's not right. You know, my boss should do this. My boss needs to be a better communicator. Uh, It's not right that he's getting paid to do that job and I'm doing it for her. Uh, It's not, you know, it's inauthentic. They get all caught up in uh, woulda, coulda, shoulda. Woulda, coulda, shoulda. And I say to them, you know, you're right. Your boss should be better at his or her job. Your boss should be a better communicator. Your boss should do the job that he or she is being paid to do. But if they don't, then what are you going to do? You can't change them. So then you have to think about what else can you do so that you can succeed, they can succeed, and the organization can succeed. And the other thing that people often object to is um, that's going to take extra effort. And I say, yes, of course it's gonna take extra effort. Whenever we are asked to operate out of our preference, it's going to take us extra effort. I'm sure you've noticed that I talk kind of quickly, and I'm sure some of your some of your audience is like, right on, you're the New Yorkers. I love the fast talking. And other people wish that I would slow down, but I wish that people could just listen faster because that would be easier for me and take less effort. So we do have to realize that when we are working with people who are different than us, who want us to do things that we don't prefer to do, and by the way, I'm not talking about anything illegal, anything immoral, uh, then we get a little resistance. So I am here to say to people, your objections are all valid, but they're not going to help you succeed.
1: Well, great. Well, look, I got a quick question for you. When you spoke to the, uh, the 150,000 people that have listened to you speak. Have you ever spoken at the infantry school at Fort Benning, Georgia?
2: I have not, but I have spoken at several other uh, uh, military places. I am actually going to the Defense Intelligence Agency tomorrow to speak to about 500 people. I'm very excited about that. I was oh, at the Pentagon. The- yeah, I was at the Pentagon a couple of weeks ago speaking to at the new colonel orientation for the Air Force. That was super fun.
1: Well, that's great. Here's why I asked you the question because the motto at the Infantry School is "Follow me." How do I know that? Because that's where I started my career. <laughs> now, and I was wondering, well, I, maybe those four people came from there and because they would know all about following me. Why? Because, you know, it, for us in, in our leadership development culture, you have to be a follower first before yeah. you can learn to lead. And it's, you, go ahead. It sounds like you want to keep chiming in. Go ahead, please.
2: No, I've ch- I completely agree. The only people that really don't resist the notion of followers is when I speak with military people because they get it. They understand it's the yin to the yang. You have to know how to do both at any given time.
1: Well, great. Well, look, you're, the other thing, and I'm going to say this for later, but one of the things when I read in your book, uh, one of the 10 bosses that you... you you want to work with is the incompetent and you gave some examples of how to help that particular person and and I don't want to steal that thunder right now because I want to I want to walk the audience through um some of the stuff you've talked about in your book so now so if I didn't forget that you just hold me to it and get back to the incompetent boss now let's talk about um self-awareness and how you have to assess yourself and your willing, uh, your willingness to manage up. And you, you make this, I think your, your title or subtitle says stop complaining and start winning. And you go through the steps of, um, How does one manage up? Could you walk us through that, please?
2: Yeah, so it's pretty simple, actually. And you know, the listeners are going to be like, "Duh," when I tell you. But it's funny how often we forget this, right? So the first step is to really take a look at who your boss is, who your boss really is, not who you wish they were, but who they who they really are. And I want you to do this without judgment, without rancor. I want you to just notice, right? So take a look at your boss's preferences, how they like to work, how they like to communicate, uh, how they want to. uh, What's their pace? Uh, what, what are their priorities? What's important to them? What are their strengths? What are their weaknesses? Really get a good look at who your boss really is without judging. Because once we start judging, then we narrow our ability to like uh, think creatively. Just notice. Then you have to notice like who you really are. Like and not and, you know I gotta say, gotta say, Tom, we are not as self-aware about who we are as we think we are. So get a good honest look at who you really are. Don't judge yourself either. Uh, you know how do you like to communicate What are your preferences? What are your priorities? How do you like to work? What are your pet peeves, for goodness sakes? And then you take take a good look at who you are, who your boss is, and then you get to assess the gap. And when you're assessing the gap, that's when you have to be in choice. Because we can't change who our boss is. Like, you can't change the fact that I speak really quickly. You can ask me to slow down, uh, but then you get to decide in that gap, what could you do, maybe a little more of, maybe a little less of, maybe a little differently in order to align your work style with your boss's work style. And that is really at the heart of managing up, being choiceful and thoughtful about what are some of the things that we can do more of, less of, or differently to align to uh, work better with the boss. Or our colleague, or your spouse, or the people below you. It works up, down, and across.
1: Exactly. So I want to ask you to play along with me again. Let's okay. say you, you invited me to your house and I'm, I call you up. And I say, Mary, I'm having trouble getting there what's the first question you're gonna ask me? Where are you now? Exactly, so <laughs> I wanna, I just wanna summarize what Mary just said in, in a slightly different terms. The first question I would have said was, well, who am I, where am I, who am I? Second is, where are you going? And that is, in this case, your relationship with your boss. And then the third, uh, her third point is assess the gap is, well, how am I gonna get there? So if you wanna say some more, please do. If not, I wanna move on to inies and outies.
2: I love it. I love that. Let's move it, baby.
1: Okay. So, innies and outies, that's uh, her, Mary's uh, way of saying introverts and extroverts. And we're talking about communication styles. And she touched on this just in her last segment as well about assessments, uh, being self-aware. And I'm a big believer in pretty much any assessment. If you can get the opportunity to take an assessment and learn more about who you are, by all means, do it. And I just think they're great. So, Mary's got um, in this section of innies and outies and how do you get into assessing your boss's work Style personality. Um, she's got four different styles, which are similar to what I use in the disc index. So. With that, I'm just going to let her go ahead and talk about the four styles. And
2: Yeah, she- no. So, I love I love uh, assessments, too. And, you know, I think one of the th- great things about them is they're not the end-all be-all. Like, we don't mean to label people. I'm sure you don't either. But it gives you a window of, uh, a window of people's workplace preferences, right? Because we tend to have workplace preferences. We tend to have uh, styles and personalities. And we tend to use, uh, we tend to lean one way or the other on those. And the other great thing about assessments, if you can take them or use them, is it gives people in organizations a nice framework to talk about differences that feel a little safer. You know, it's a little bit safer to be able to talk about that. Um, all right, so should we start with introverts and extroverts, the indies and the outies?
1: Please, Leah, go okay. ahead.
2: so I start with this one because this is a basic kind of human preference, and I'm always shocked at how much it shows up in organizational life. I'm always shocked by how much it shows up in the stories we make up about each other, right? Um, so let me just talk about introverts first, so uh, the basic thing, so introversion, extroversion really play oftentimes a large role in two important workplace dynamics. One is our source of energy, right? What energizes us, how much energy we have for the interactions with others, and two, uh, our communication style. And so you want to make sure that you understand both yours and your boss's preferred communication styles and your source of energy Uh, because you don't want to be the person that's de-energizing your boss or if you're the boss, de-energizing your people because they will avoid you like the plague. So introverts tend to get energized from within, right? We know this, uh, from our own world of thoughts, our own ideas. Uh, we spend it, tend to spend a lot of time alone. Uh, introverted bosses are probably not walking around going, how you doing, how you doing? They're probably not popping into your office. They're probably sitting right next to you and emailing you instead of talking to you. Like, so there's a lot of different ways that introverted bosses show up, right? The extrovert, because introverts have what we call a lower threshold for external stimulus. The extrovert boss probably is uh, walking around engaging, they are probably building relationships, they're probably much more, they're probably sharing information. Uh, Extroverted bosses have a higher threshold for external stimulus and they also do this thing called external processing. So extroverts tend to process externally meaning they think out loud and they think better when they think out loud, which to the introvert is a crazy notion. right? So understanding which one your boss is and which one you are can be really important because you want to make sure that you are uh, understanding the communication style preferences and you're not misreading or mislabeling how they're showing up in the world.
1: Great. Well, look, that what she was saying the whole time was about understanding it. And it goes back to who am I, where am I going, who, yep. who's the boss, and and how are we going to get there? How are we going to make this uh, this relationship work? How are we going to build that bridge? Um, so do you want to get into the actual for, um? four styles deep, more deeply, or, or are we good with that?
2: Uh, no, I think those are, the, so I, so yes, but let's talk about just finish up about how you can work with an introvert extrovert better. Okay. Um, okay. So if you have an introverted boss, and if you're an extrovert, the thing you need to know is that um, you're not going to change the introverted personality. So if you're, have an introverted boss, a couple ideas for you is you're going to have to be proactive about really reaching out and, and scheduling time with them. Like d- if you're going to wait for your introverted boss to uh, reach out to you and get on your calendar, you you may be waiting a really long time. So be proactive. Don't take it personally that they're not reaching out. They are assuming you are fine unless you reach out. So schedule meetings with them. Now they may cancel half those meetings, especially if they're at the end of the day, but don't worry. You can still schedule more. Uh, When you get with your introverted boss, let them know ahead of time what you want to talk about. Introverts tend to do more internal processing. So they want to, they, they want to actually know ahead of time what you want to talk about so they can think about it and be more prepared. And then if you are a raging extrovert and you're working for an introvert, I want you to remember the word WAIT. And WAIT stands for why am I talking? If you are just talking to fill up space when you're with an introvert, you can stop because that sort of space, that sort of chit, idle chit-chat uh, is going to be annoying to the, to the introvert. Um, I was doing this session with this global financial firm and after we talked about introversion and extroversion, this m- woman jumps up and says, oh my God. I think I've been annoying my boss for the past like seven years. And I said, oh my God, is your boss here? And she goes, yeah. And she points to the CEO of the organization. And mm-hmm. I said, sir, has she been annoying you? And he said, dear God, yes. Because she was this extrovert that just kept chit-chatting at him all the time. And so he started to avoid her. Anyway, those are some a few tips for the introvert. Now, if you have an Extroverted boss is sort of the opposite. So what you have to do is you want to uh, take some time to build that relationship. You want to, you, the extrovert wants to kind of know who you are. They want to they want to hear from you. So introverts need to speak up a little bit more. Share their ideas even if they're not perfect. The other thing you want to do when you're talking with an extrovert is to realize that they are going to um, um, uh, ext- uh, extrovert externally. So they are going to kind of brainstorm out loud so you want to be that sounding board you want to like help them uh, hear them out and help them craft their ideas and then you want to make sure that you're recapping to make sure you're on the same page with an extrovert because their conversation could go all over the place in one conversation but it can be very helpful to the extrovert if you're that person that helps them process uh, And instead of running away from the energy you have to kind of go towards it and embrace it
1: perfect Well, look for the audience, uh, if you would like to place a phone call, we've been talking with Mary Abijay, the author of *Managing Up: How to Move Up, Win at Work, and Succeed with Any Type of Boss*. Our number is eight six six four seven two five seven nine zero. Again, that's eight six six four seven two. Five seven nine zero. So we're going to wrap up our first uh, segment here, and we're going to take a short break. And when we come back, uh, we're going to talk about those ten bosses that she writes about in her book that are difficult. And so, thank you very much for all that, Mary. And we'll be right back after our break.
0: comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network.
3: As Tom works with leaders, something he consistently sees is their struggle with engagement and retention. Then their frustration with having to repeat the employee development process again and again. What most people don't know is the answer lies in love. Once they realize that they simply need to apply the golden rule, the results are surprising. They start bringing out the best in others. They develop confident, capable employees, and they find they have more fun and freedom and less stress in their lives. Perhaps most importantly, they satisfy what they've been craving. Now they've created the culture that they and their team have always wanted. This is when synergy takes over, and the results are astounding. The first step is critical. When you exhibit the self-awareness and humility that shows you need to learn and improve continuously, you set the example and encourage others to follow. To learn more, visit Blackhawk Leadership Development at BlackhawkSpeaks.com. That's BlackhawkSpeaks.com.
0: listening to your evolving leadership journey to reach the program today please call in to 1-866-472-5790 that's 1-866-472-5790 if you have questions or comments about the program you may send an email to tom at blackhawkspeaks.com now back to your evolving leadership
1: journey Welcome back. We've been talking with Mary Abijay, the author of Managing Up, How to Move Up, When at Work, and Succeed with Any Type of Boss. Now, before we get into the 10 difficult bosses and perhaps how you would interact with them, I just want to spend a little more time on what we talked about in the first half to kind of wrap that up and cl- let Mary close that out. And why? Because this is, to me, the most important part. It's understanding. It's that basis of understanding what she talks about in the rest of the book. So, Mary, go ahead please?
2: Yeah, so it's really important to understand that when you're dealing with bosses, you're actually dealing with human beings, right? And we we become bosses for all sorts of reasons. Oftentimes, organizations promote people based on their technical skills, right? You're a great salesperson. Congratulations, Vice President of Sales. You're really great at people management, so congratulations, Head of Public Relations. And when we do this, we're not necessarily promoting people based on their ability or acumen or aptitude to be Mm -hmm. managers. And the other problem is that people are Often, uh, they go up in organizational life because being through management because it's the only way up and so when you do this you're going to have a spectrum and and the third reason thing that happens is most organizations don't give people leadership training before they become managers Um, a recent study just showed that most people become managers about the age of 30 but most people don't get significant management training until the age of 40 so when you're in a workplace I want you to realize that you're going to have like a spectrum of experience some people are going to be naturally great at being bosses and some people not so much and and the other thing is is that even though many of these people are doing the best they can sometimes their best isn't good enough for you right and that's the piece we really want to understand when we talk about difficult bosses is we want to separate kind of the person from <clears throat> the boss behaviors um, and we want to understand like how they are managing uh, they may be difficult for us but it doesn't necessarily make them bad people or difficult people um, and so we have to always be looking about how we want to work how they're working the same or different than us and you know know, so some of that's going to be personality. Some of it's going to be work style like DISC. We just all have different kind of approaches to how we want to get work done. Um, And oftentimes, we manage the way that we want to be managed. We manage based on our own preferences. So that's why it's really essential to really always be looking at what your boss's preferences are and what yours are and how you can kind of adjust that, adapt to that gap a little bit.
1: All right. Well, great. Thanks. Look, uh, before we get into, we're not going to be able to cover all 10 of the difficult bosses that she has in her book. And I've identified three that I'll ask her about in a minute, but she's got a chapter that precedes all of these 10 examples describing difficult bosses. Uh, you know, I'm just going to highlight a couple things and let, let Mary run with it. She talks about appreciating the opportunity to embrace the challenge and um, rather than label your boss as a difficult person, try to identify those behaviors, assume positive intent. That to me was a big one. And I want you to really wrap your mind about, around with that. When, when you go into, when we go into the, uh, the three examples that, you know, we're all human. So maybe your boss isn't, not maybe, since we're all human, nobody's perfect. Um, assume that the least, that their intent is positive before you uh, tackle into it and then, we all have this inner draw. All human behavior uh, stems from some inner drive, want, or need. So go, and then finally she says, one of the most important questions you must ask yourself is, can I live with this behavior at the end if, if it doesn't work out? But go ahead, Mary, give your intro to the three examples I'm getting ready to ask you about.
2: All right. So um, assuming positive intent is so huge because here's what happens. We judge people based on, we judge ourselves based on our intention and we judge other people based on their impact, right? And when we see impact in others that we don't like, like when their behavior annoys us or offends us or whatever, we immediately assume their intention. Uh, We immediately not only assume their intention, we assume their intention is bad. And once we've assumed that someone's intention is bad, we make the fundamental attribution error and we assume their character is bad. But we don't do that for ourselves. And once you assume someone has bad character, once I label you, Tom, as a micromanager, because maybe you asked me how my project was going, then everything you do, my mental model will label you, then everything you do, um, I I will see through that lens. And on top of that, I'm also going to make up a story in my head about why you're a micromanager, right? And then everything comes through that little narrow lens. So the ability to assume positive intent is going to widen in your lens to understand that people do things for many different reasons we all have inner drives we all have needs and it, it, when we assume what, that we know what someone else is doing or why they're doing it we've narrowed our, our we've narrowed our focus we've actually slashed out half of our strategies so don't assume negative intent it will just make you crazy and make you judgmental
1: Interesting. I'm glad you brought up the first example that I want to talk about, the micromanager. I'm going to rewind into my history as a in my leadership roles. Uh, I would argue that those people who did their jobs effectively never, ever would think of me as a micromanager. Why? Because I let them run with what they had to do because I had trust and confidence in their abilities. However, comma, if I didn't, I was a lot more Inter, into your work or closely aligned with you, what you're doing, following what you were doing. And then maybe you thought I was a micromanager. So with that, let that be our segue into what you want to say about the micromanager, the strategies to manage somebody like that, perhaps me in that case. And go ahead.
2: I love that you admitted that because that is true. So the, the thing about micromanaging is, you know, human beings have neuropsychological needs. Like if you've studied the David Rock scarf stuff, like we have these neuropsychological needs. One of them is the need for autonomy. Right? We want to be free to run our own life, like, to have our own agency, make our own decisions, make our own control, uh, make our own choices in the workplace. And when someone steps on that autonomy, we get uh, angry. We get we actually get trapped by our amygdala. We go into fight or flight. Um, but what also happens is that human beings also have a need for a neuropsychological need for certainty, to know that things are going to happen. The sun's going to rise. The sun's going to set. I'm getting paid on Friday, and you're doing that job correctly the way it should be done. And when our manager's need for certainty bumps up against our need for my, for uh, autonomy, we're going to label it micromanaging when it, it, maybe it is, maybe it isn't. But that's why this is such a big problem or such a big point of angst for human beings because we have two neuropsychological needs kind of duking it out. So what I say to people when you are feeling you're being micromanaged is I don't want you to take it personally. It's not about you unless you are the only person who's being micromanaged. Managed in the example you gave, then you need to take it very personally because this is about you and this is something that you are not giving your boss or manager that they need. And so when you are, when you are feeling micromanaged, th- what you have to do is you have to realize this boss needs, needs to build trust with you and in order to do that, I want you to think about giving him or her a little bit more information, inclusion, and a little bit of control. So this means being proactive. Go check in with this boss. Find out what it is that they are looking for. Find out what success looks like. Find out what that project needs to cover. Like don't just... push them away, flood them with information, give them constant updates, let them have status reports, let them check your work as you go uh, so that they can develop the confidence and the trust that you are doing things the right way. The thing you do not want to do with the micromanager is resist their need for certainty. You will not get your autonomy until they have their certainty that you are doing the job right. And this is going to annoy the heck out of you. I'm not going to lie. It's going to take you extra effort because you have to reach out so much. But I promise you, this is like the ounce of prevention is worth a thousand pounds of cure. You need to build trust with that person, and they're only going to trust you once you have proven yourself to be doing the work the way they want it to be done. End of story. Stop resisting and start giving them what they want. They will let go. If they don't let go, then that's a whole different problem.
1: Well, let's assume for the sake of argument that, that I was a decent boss and that my need for certainty, you're, you hit the nail on the head. I needed to know that whatever that task was, was going to be done effectively or to, to our satisfaction or to the team's satisfaction. So from a, from a self-awareness perspective, what are your thoughts on, again, assuming that I was right and I was decent about it and I was being fair you weren't living up to getting the task done to standard. What should the person do if they're not meeting the mark, if you will? The person or the leader. The, the person not the, the person
2: uh, well the person needs so here's we get into like kind of the, uh, the why we need to have good strong relationships so the person if their manager isn't giving them the feedback the person really needs to go and have a conversation with the boss they really need to be proactive about that yes of course your boss should sit down with you and give you the appropriate feedback yes of course your boss is supposed to give you the guidelines and the guard the guardrails for success but if they don't, then you need to go get what you need. You need to schedule a meeting and really find out. You need to go through, what am I not doing right here? What could I do better? What could I do more of, less or, or differently? What are you looking for on this project? Just because your boss doesn't do that for you doesn't mean you can't go get it. It's your career. You need to take uh, charge of it, and you need to take charge of finding out and getting what you need to be successful.
1: See, now I love that, and I believe that's what, what attracted me to your book is that your, your underlying theme and, and uh, belief in that it, you need to take responsibility for your life, your career, and your relationship with your boss. So, uh, great. Thank you. Let's go on to another one. And that is the impulsive boss. Let me tell you why I picked this one. <laughs> the reason I picked this is because... We were taught like when a general officer would say something they were they were taught to be very, very careful because if they said something, then suddenly six months later i'll 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 leave it there because your book highlights this uh, illustrates this perfectly so go ahead
2: so the impulsive boss, and this is my personal nemesis right here like this is the one that I have trouble dealing with uh, because i am you know i'm a i'm a I'm a driver or a dominant on the disc I am a NTJ, like I like to get stuff done, and so the impulsive boss is the boss that's coming in and every day there's a new set of priorities, you know, maybe they want X, Y, Z in the morning and by the afternoon it's one, two, three, or this is the boss that is, um, you know, goes to a conference and comes back with 10 new ideas that we're going to implement, and then the next day they're all gone, Uh, so you always feel like the stands are always shifting, you can't really get anything done, and you just kind of feel disoriented, so the impulsive boss... um, it can be very challenging for people, but you can also do some great things with an impulsive. So the first thing you want to do with the impulsive is, is is again, take down your your fundamental attribution error, take down your judgment, uh, it doesn't necessarily mean that they're crazy, maybe they just want to get something done, like try to get into that positive intent. Now whether you like it or not, when you have an impulsive boss, your job is going to be to corral that impulsive energy into something usable practical practical, and doable. It's a much better team sport than an individual sport, so if you're working on a team, you guys should all be working together to do this with the impulsive boss. Um, Initially, when the impulsive boss gives you some ideas, I don't want you to be the constant voice of doom. I don't want you to be the E or the wah, 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 because that is going to not build good relationship. Um, I want you to be able to find out, like let's say your boss comes in and says, hey, we're gonna do a new office, and we're gonna gonna be the first company to have an office on Mars, right? So instead of saying like, that's the stupidest idea ever, and NASA won't let us do it, instead try to find like the germ of what they're trying to do, the kernel of change or innovation they're trying to make, and see if you can shape that into something different. So you could say, you know, that's a really interesting idea. And I'm not sure we can go to Mars, but maybe we could go to Phoenix. Maybe we could put an outpost in Phoenix. So the key with the impulsive is to remember the yes and, right? So accept their sort of crazy idea and then put some guardrails on it with and, right? So yes, that's an interesting idea. And where does this fall in our priorities, right? It's their job to prioritize. Where does this fall in our priorities? That's a great idea and what are the resources you wanna take from other projects to put into this project? That's a great idea and here are some challenges we might have to doing that and we could maybe do this instead. So you wanna offer alternatives, you wanna be able to put guardrails on it, you wanna not be the person that's like that can't happen, you wanna show that you're on the boss's side trying to make something co- new cool happen and you've got to have to do that within the realms of, of possibility.
1: Great. Now look, uh, one of the things that, and I don't know if I'm crossing my wires here, but in your book, you talk about, first of all, Mary gives a bunch of different stories that illustrate these examples. And in one of the cases, and you're kind of doing this, uh, you had shared where the the, um, the the person reporting to their boss would go back to the boss and say, so I understand this is what you want. These are my priorities. One, two, three, four. And then it gave the, It opened the um, the opportunity for dialogue and for the boss to say, "Hey, well, look, well, no, that really wasn't my priority. I really didn't mean that." So, so they were able to reprioritize things and rack and stack them properly. So, I don't know if I crossed the if if that was on the um, impulsive, but. well, either way, would you like to comment on yeah,
2: that? Yeah, no, part? that's exactly right. You know, so often, uh, you know, I read a study somewhere, it was in Harvard Business Review or somewhere, <clears throat> which said something like, you know, 75% of people resist asking their boss to prioritize their work. And that's just crazy. If you have an impulsive, it is you really do have to go into that impulsive boss frequently and say, okay, where does this fall in their priorities? Here's what I think are my priorities. Are, am I still on tracking with you is absolutely what you need to do with impulses because they are going to change their mind a lot. And so helping them understand what, where you, what, what the priorities are and what they're asking for you is very important. So you want to make that a regular, regular conversation with the impulsive.
1: Great. Now, thanks. Now, look, I'd like to say, or when I, when I reflect on my army career, for the most part, I had good bosses and uh, I didn't like them all, um, but they were good bosses. But there was one that stands out. It was, wasn't a good boss and there's always the, the least. And I couldn't really determine whether this individual was a pushover or incompetent. So I'm going to do a twofer here and ask you to speak about both of those <laughs> as my third example.
2: Yeah, you know, I love that because they're so similar in how they show up, right? Um, and I, I would actually probably say a, pusho- a pushover is an incompetent as well. Uh, so pushovers are the people that um, that, are, that will change their mind based on the last person, thing somebody said. They don't sit, stand their ground. They certainly don't like stick up for you like when they get heat from above, they'll throw you under the bus. Like They they're can be very difficult. Um, and incompetents are incompetent for a whole host of reasons. So the thing about both of these is, first of all, to have, well, let me take the pushover first. So um, with a pushover, you're not going to change who they are, right? So you want to be able to bolster them a little bit. So do what you can to really spell out for them the different situations in decision making. Um, Do what you can to, like, let's say they have to decide between X and Y. Really sit down with them. Don't expect them to know it and really bolster what it is. If you're recommending Y, really make sure you outline all the reasons why you want to do Y and all the reasons why you want to do X. You're going to have to have a lot of conversation with this boss. You're also going to have to be very uh, environmentally aware. Who's going to push the boss into different directions? And so make sure you understand where those people are coming from as well. Uh, making sure that you understand like, oh, well, I know Tom's going to tell you to do X, but here's why X isn't going to work. So you got to really bolster them up, help them build a backbone, help give them the confidence in their decision-making and you're also gonna have to if you're a pushover it's also a great opportunity for you to um, uh, kind of accept a little bit of informal leadership with your team right so show the rest of your team that you can be relied on and counted on to follow through and like stick up for people
1: great now look uh, in my case this particular boss, I felt like I tried all of that and just nothing seemed to work. And it's going to lead into the last part of your book. But uh, before we get there, um, in this case, I knew I was going to leave because in the army, you rotate every uh, 18 months, two years, just depending on the assignment. So I knew I was going to leave. So I don't know if you want to talk on that when you feel like you've tried everything and go right into towards the end of your book where you say, when is it okay to quit?
2: Yeah. Um, Yeah. So that's the thing. You always, so it's, it, first of all, it is okay to quit. I want people to know that. Um, And uh, you want to make sure that you try, like, you don't want to quit at the first sign of trouble, right? You need to develop a little grit. You need to really practice your adaptive uh, relationship strategies. You want to really see, Try as much things as you can do to get it to, to make it work, but there are going to be times where no matter what you do, it just doesn't work. And so, whether you have a normal boss or a difficult boss, or it just doesn't gel, um, you have to think about what when to put yourself to your next best use. The only time that I would say that you absolutely need to quit as soon as you can is when you have what we call the toxic boss, right? This is the boss that is the abusive boss, this is the boss that demeans you, the bullies, the narcissists, the tyrants, the shouters. And should you find yourself in a toxic situation, I really am here to tell you that you have to move on. Uh, there is no managing up to a toxic boss. The best you can do is manage yourself out of that situation. When you have a toxic boss, please know that nobody is coming to save you. HR is not coming to save you. Mm-hmm. Most HR Companies don't have that power to save you. Most HR companies are set up to protect the organization, not for you. So if you're working for the toxic boss, I want you to think long and hard about how long you can survive. You are never ever going to thrive with a toxic boss. It's only about survival. And A couple other facts that may stun your listeners are this. Number one, if you are working for a toxic boss, you are damaging your physiological and your physical health. Uh, people that work for toxic bosses are uh, have an increase, a 60, 60% increase in likelihood of stroke, of heart disease, and a whole host of other maladies. When you work for a toxic boss, it can take up to 20 four months to recover from working for a toxic boss. The social psychologists and the health professionals are now likening this to PTSD, actually. You get almost battered spouse syndrome when you work in a toxic situation. And people, and this is a shocking fact, Tom, people who work for toxic bosses tend to work for them for two years longer than in normal situations. And the researchers have found that we do this because when we're working for a toxic boss, a couple of things happen. One, we are, our emotional and our psychological selves get depleted, right? We get like hostage syndrome. We, number two, someone's going to save us, like someone's going to, is that, uh, we're often in high meaning jobs. So we are happy about our jobs. We love what we do. And so we stay, so we stay with that boss for that amount of time. It's crazy.
1: Yeah. That, that's really interesting. And the, the other chapter, which I don't want to cover because I actually want to shift into something quite different. Um, she talks about the narcissist and those are the people you'll want to avoid, but Mary, maybe this yeah. will give you an idea for another book. Cause I'm sure you have the ability to write it. Um, what about the good bosses? What are the the strategies for working with the good bosses?
2: The strategies for working with the good boss is you just get to do you. You get to be you. You get to uh, go in every day, and it's fabulous, right? And so strategies for working for, with the good bosses is still, like, make it even better. Build that relationship. Really appreciate what is that good boss doing. Uh pay attention to how that good boss operates cuz that good boss is teaching you how to be a good boss as well or at least how to be a good boss for you so really notice and try to emulate that good boss and and talk with that boss about you know uh, what drives them how are they doing it so really take the opportunity to learn from that good boss uh, by having conversations the other thing i want to say is even if you don't have a good boss uh, everyone i've ever talked to about this has said you know or people high in leadership said you know they've probably learned the most from their bad bosses than from their good bosses, because even if you have a bad boss, you're learning about what you don't want to do as a boss. So there are learning opportunities on both ends.
1: Well, look, let me tell you why I asked that question, and I suspect it'll be a better question for you or a better way to respond to this, is that early in my career, I guess I didn't really understand... Um, I certainly knew what they wanted us to do. They being the big military and that is take responsibility for your career. But what I didn't really fully understand and appreciate is to, and you touched on it earlier and I just want to re circle back to it. Why? Because I want to, I want to close out this, uh, this episode on the positive things that you can do with your boss, and and that is to go back and, and seek the guidance and seek the help and ask the questions. And you know, we were we were expected to map out our career for the next five or ten years, and um and know how, what what's the strategy to get there. Well, the only way to know that is to talk to somebody who's walked the path. So I don't know if you wanted to comment on that, but uh, that was something that. Kind of was in the back of my mind as I was reading your book.
2: I love that. What are your priorities? What are your pet peeves? Uh, how do you like to work? What can I do more of, less of, or differently in order to work better with you? I really do believe that we need to take control of our career and control of our relationships. And part of doing that is to actually ask people that we work with, like, what can I do more of, less of, or differently to work better with you? Where are my growth opportunities? Where are my strengths? Where are my weaknesses? So go have these conversations that can be transformative transformative and the other thing is when you have that conversation with your boss or your colleagues or the people that work below you the hope is the other person will have the exact same conversation with you so you can both learn how you need to what you can each do to work better to make both you them and the organization successful it's really about building bonds building relationships and doing what we can to make ourselves successful the other person successful and the organization successful
1: all right. Well, thanks so much, Mary. We're, we've got to wrap up now. We've only got about a minute left. I just want to say I appreciate all the insights. There's so much more in her book. You've got to pick it up. Managing Up, How to, how to Move Up, in at Work, and Succeed with Any Type of Boss. Uh, you're listening to the Voice of America radio channel. It's another episode of your evolving leadership journey with your host, Tom Korea. I appreciate you listening in. We're here every Monday morning at 9 a.m. to start off your week. One final thing to close it off. I don't know, Mayor, if you can do this quickly, but you have a great story about the poison well for avoiding those toxic bosses. And if you can, let's let's finish on that note.
2: If the well is poison, the well is poison. You may try a different a thousand different cups to drink on that well, but if you're working for that poison boss, remember, that poison boss isn't going to change. No matter what kind of cup you use, no matter what path you take to that well, you've got to stop drinking on that well. Get out and save yourself.
1: All right. Thank you so much, Mary, and everybody else, or all our listeners, have a great week. Thanks for listening. We'll talk next week. Thanks.
0: Thank you for tuning in this week to Your Evolving Leadership Journey. Be sure to join host Tom Crea for another edition next Monday morning at 6 a.m. Pacific Time and 9 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. And have a great week.